Brother Randy, we're going to ask you to come. We're going to believe that God's going to move in the house tonight. Thank you for being part of our Sunday here at Discover Church. All right. Discover Church. Discover Church. Amen. Wow. One of these days I want to be cute like pastor. When I get to heaven, right? He said, you don't know what comes with that. Hi, Pastor Dan. You're cute, too. <laughs> We're just big family. Hey, turn to the person next to you. Say, you are still in the right place at the right time for your miracle. I believe God's going to touch your life. And get your Bible and open it with me, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2. And uh, I've got a long way to go, a short time to get there, and I want to get you into this altar because I'm expecting and believing God to do great, great things. I want to speak to you on Beyond Miracles and focus my eyes on Jesus. To look beyond my needs, to look beyond the miracles that I need in my life and focus my eyes on Jesus. And that's what Hebrews tells us, the 12th chapter and the second verse it says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I'm going to make a bold statement, church, and if you believe like I do, when you hear that statement, I want you to give me a resounding amen. Here's the statement. I believe in miracles, but I put my faith and trust in Jesus. Well, let's try that again. I believe in miracles, but I put my faith and trust in Jesus. Amen? And if you believe the Bible like I do, and I know you do, you know that God is a miracle-working God. And God is not limited in any degree, shape, or form, nor in any respect. He is totally sovereign God. And I believe the Spirit of God wants us to believe in miracles and at the same time not put our faith in miracles. He wants our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. In John chapter 6, verse 1 through 14, it records the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. The Bible tells us great multitudes were following Jesus at this time. And then he goes on to explain to us why. It says, a great multitude, John 6, 2, a great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. It was because of the miracles that he was doing for them. And people do that today. They get caught up in the miracles out of desperation or out of just plain human curiosity. They will follow a certain minister or a ministry. And there are many people in the church that live that way, so much so that they are depending on a miracle every day. And they love those slogans that say, expect a miracle every day. And friends, I don't protest those slogans. Because all of us face situations where except for a miracle, there is no way it could possibly happen. However, God has not intended any of our lives and all the details of our lives to be dependent on a miracle every day. For the Lord says that I want you to learn a way to live. I want you to learn how to possess the land. I want you to learn how to live in that land. He wants us to learn how to partner with him in ministry, in mission, in the practicalities of everyday life. God wants us to come to a deep understanding of how life can work on a daily basis through the wisdom and the power 
of the Holy Spirit. Now that does not mean we despise the miraculous or renounce its validity or suggest that we don't want them daily in some respects in our life. Quite the contrary, it is saying that on a practical level, on an everyday level, the Lord is saying, I want to teach you, Discover Church, a way to live. That you live your life in a pattern in which life becomes fruitful in an ongoing set pattern of victory. From victory unto victory, from mountaintop to mountaintop. Please understand, it's a very common human response to get your eyes off of Jesus and fix on the miracle workings of Jesus. And I believe it's safe to say that the vast majority of people right now in this room watching me or those watching by live stream, they need God to step into their life and do something to fully turn it around. I have no doubt that there are people here that you know someone that needs a miracle. And let's not just limit the miracles to certain areas of our life. Maybe you're dealing with the loss of a job, depression, fear of the future. Maybe you need a physical healing or stress of life is putting pressure on your marriage, on your family. If you're a college student or if you're a high school or junior high school student, the stress of high school and, and the things that you are dealing with and the feelings of inadequacy are putting stresses on your life as well. Young people today are dealing with things irrespective of whatever your life was. They are dealing with things that we never dreamed about or never even entered our mind in the days of our upbringing. I have three sons and a daughter. My, my oldest is 31. And he said, Dad, he said, you have no idea what we're dealing with nowadays. I said, well, yeah, I do. I, I can understand. He goes, no, no, no. He said, when you were young and my age and dating, you had Wonder Woman. And I go, yeah, I had a crush on Wonder Woman. He goes, yeah, Dad, we have to wonder today if it is a woman. <laughs> I said, well, that's true, son. That's true. Things that we never, ever dreamed about, they're dealing with today in the high school level. Where there's a generation that is identifying with animals. I don't know if you heard that, Mom and Dad, but they're called furries. And they are now in our public schools. My sons also asked me, they go, Dad, what in the world's going on? Furries? And I said, yeah, sir, son, listen, you need to understand that there's enough of the nature of God, even in fallen man. God has created us in his image. And there's enough of the nature of God, even in fallen man, that Satan hates mankind so much that if it was not for the hand of God, if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit, Satan would annihilate every human being right now on the planet. And if he cannot do that now, what he is doing is trying to disfigure or he's trying to reclaim and he take the image of God out. And what greater slap in the face of the creator than to have a generation begin to identify with animals. He's trying to warp the image of God. And I told the men yesterday in our revival meeting that we must pray for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the next generation. That we need an outpouring of the presence of God that will form a generation. That they will rise up under the anointing of heaven. And we need to pray for them and pray for a, 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 the presence of God and pray for a spirit of hope, a spirit of faith, and a spirit of wisdom. I want you to understand your children do not need more knowledge. They've got more knowledge than they know what to do with right now. They've got the World Wide Web. They've got their telephones. They've got all the knowledge they could possibly glean at their fingertips. What they need is the wisdom from God to know what to do with the knowledge they already have. 
and it's that wisdom. For the Bible tells us any man that lacks wisdom, come to the Heavenly Father and ask him and he will give it freely. Now you can come to the altars of grace tonight and say, Lord, I need wisdom. Would you give my son and daughter wisdom on how to live, on how to walk, on how to talk? I believe with all of my heart that God is raising up a wounded generation. He is raising up a new generation that is not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they are coming out. I call them first responders. You see, God pulls you out of the fire because you know what it is to be in the fire. He pulls you out of the fire. He gets you saved, born again, filled with the power of the Holy Ghost so that you could turn around, go back into the fire, and pull people out for him. Oh, my Lord, God is raising up a generation. If you believe that, clap your hands and praise him. And look past the miracle to Jesus. Oh, come on, believe it right now. Yes, Lord. So even though we have all these needs and we're wounded, we have all these desires, I believe tonight we need to look past the miracle that you may need in your life. And I want you to fasten your eyes on Jesus, who is still the author and the perfecter of your faith. I want you to look to him. He's the sea walker still. Now, there are several things I want you to see about moving beyond miracles and focusing on Jesus. First, there is no problem too big for Jesus to solve. There is no problem too big for Jesus to solve. That goes to any cultural situation. There is no problem too big for Jesus to solve. I know that sounds like a cliche, but it is true nonetheless. In fact, I'm going to ask you to say it with me softly to yourself. I'm going to count to three, and you say your name, and I say my name, and then we're going to all say there is no problem too big for Jesus to solve. Listen, you don't have to shout. The Holy Spirit's not deaf. But you do need to encourage yourself in the Lord. When you see the life of David, you realize that in the highs and the lows of David's life, he had one constant. He wanted to be in the presence of God. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, you see him dancing before the Lord, bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to the nation of Israel. In the Ark, I told you this morning, were three things. Aaron's rod, God's leadership, the Ten Commandments, God's law, and the manna, God's provision. God's law, God's leadership, and God's provision. And David is dancing before the Lord because the presence of God is coming back to the house of David, the city of David, the city of Jerusalem. Prior to that time, Saul had not placed, his predecessor, had not placed an emphasis on the Ark of the Covenant. Saul was more concerned with politics and his own agenda than he was the presence of God. And that was an affront to King David. Just as much as the Philistine giant Goliath was an affront to David. And the Philistines had stolen the Ark and now it's making its way back and David is celebrating. It's a high point in David's life and he's celebrating before the Lord. But then we see him again at a low point in his life when the Amalekites in 1 Samuel attack the Ziklag and they burn the city and they capture his women and the children and they take David's wife and they take his children and they take them into captivity. And the Bible tells us, my friend, that the mighty men of David, the men who the day before would have given their life for the call of David. Now they are weeping, they're crying, they're in bitterness of soul. There is no more any tears to weep. And they get together and they say, let's kill David. These men were willing to give their lives for him several days prior. But now because of the deep grief and, and hurt, they're, they're saying, let's kill the king. And David is faced with a problem. The Bible says he encouraged himself in the Lord. He found a solitary place. Listen to me, there will come a time in your life where you better learn how to encourage yourself in the Lord. 
And David went and found that place. In the highs and the lows of his life, David's main constant was, I've got to get into the presence of God. Because there is no problem too big for my Jesus to solve. So at the count of three, you say your name and encourage yourself in the Lord. I'll say my name, and then together we will say, there is no problem too big for Jesus to solve. Are you ready? At the count of three, let's do that. One, two, three. Randy, there's no problem too big for Jesus to solve. Let's do that again. One, two, three. Randy, there is no problem too big for Jesus to solve. In my study, I was reading the true story of a missionary, Dr. Helen Rosevere. She was a Southern Baptist missionary, or she is a Southern Baptist missionary, as well as a doctor, a full PhD medical doctor, to Zaire, Africa. And she told a story about a mother in the mission station who died after giving birth to a very premature baby, a little girl. And she said, we were doing our best we could to improve an incubator to keep the child alive, but the only hot water bottle we had was well beyond repair. So I felt prompted, she said, to have all the children of the mission begin to pray for the baby and his three-year-old sister. One little girl, five-year-old girl, responded, and she stood up to pray, and she said, Dear Lord, please send a hot water bottle today. Tomorrow will be too late. The baby will be already dead. And Lord, please also send a baby doll for his sister so that she doesn't feel alone. She went on to say that that afternoon, a large box arrived from London, England. The children watched eagerly, she says, as we opened it. And much to everyone's surprise, under the, some clothes was a brand new hot water bottle that the people had sent. The tears of joy were being right now spilled, she said, from every adult and every child. Immediately, the five-year-old little girl who moments or this morning had prayed in faith, she ran up to the platform and she said, surely if God sent a hot, the hot water bottle, then he also sent the baby doll. And she began to dig through the clothes and she reached down and when she came out holding that doll, she said, we all went into a rejoice. Amazing faith. If God sent that water bottle, I know he sent a baby doll. Dr. Revere went on to say the Heavenly Father knew in advance of the child's prayer request because five months earlier, God had laid the request on a woman's Bible study in London, England to send the hot water bottle at the last minute they put into the box a baby doll. Did you hear me? Five months earlier so that in the appointed time, it would arrive in Zaire, Africa, at the right point, at the right time, to fulfill the need in the appointed time. There is no problem too big for my Jesus to solve. Oh, if you believe that, clap your hands and praise him, that he is still in control. Well, pastor, when is the appointed time? I don't know when the appointed time is. Only God knows when the appointed time is. But I'm going to stand and I'm going to wait. And I'm going to stand on God's promises, for there's no problem too big for my Jesus to solve. And when you understand that, you begin to realize that my life is not on the time frame of man. But my life is in the time in the hands of God. In John chapter 6, there's a monumental problem that day 5,000 hungry people and hardly a bite of food. Well, let me read to you the very familiar story. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Verse 7, Philip answered, Eight months' wage would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. 
Well, the question then becomes, why did Jesus ask Philip where they were going to buy bread? Was Jesus seeking advice? No, for John says that Jesus knew ahead of time what he was going to do. Was he trying to learn something about Philip? Well, no, he already knew all about Philip. Remember, it was Jesus who called Philip to the ministry personally. And some Bible commentators I read said Philip was first a disciple of John the Baptist. But Jesus approached Philip and makes him one of the twelve. You see, Jesus already knows Philip and he knows his personality. Remember, he is all man, yet he is all God. That's what makes Jesus so wonderful. He created Philip. He created his personality. He knows the ins and outs of this young man. He knows him intricately. Likewise, God knows you. He's no respecter of person. He created you on purpose for a purpose. I have a t-shirt that says that. A youth group uh, in San Antonio, Texas sent me one. It says, he created me on purpose for a purpose. Say that with me. He created me on purpose for a purpose. Say it again. He created me on purpose for a purpose. And that speaks to the transgender and that speaks to the confusion in the world right now. No, no, I am created on purpose for a purpose. The book of Jeremiah says he knew me wonderfully in my mother's womb. Young lady, he selected your hair color. He selected your eye color. God selected who you are. He put his plan and he put his purpose in you. He gave you giftings that nobody else has. Young man, God's got his hand on your life. You were created on purpose for a purpose to fulfill the call of God in your life. Oh, come on, church. If you believe that, somebody shout amen. We are not an accident. We are called of God. So he knows Philip. And he knows that out of all the disciples, Philip is the pragmatist who will look at the situation sensibly and realistically. Please understand that Jesus never does a precocious miracle. That in the meeting of the need of the 5,000, he is also going to take the time to teach a life lesson to Philip. Why? Because he has three and a half years to figure out who he's going to leave his worldwide ministry to in their hands. Three and a half years. In everything that God does, he never does a precocious miracle. He was always searching and looking, who will I leave the ministry to? And God is no respecter of persons. And this is a test for Philip. And as you look closer, you gain some insight into himself. Philip's about to gain insight into himself. That's what's about to happen in this altar. Many of you are going to come to this altar tonight and gain insight into yourself by the Holy Spirit whispering in your ear. In asking the question to Philip, Philip the pragmatist immediately calculates in his mind the cost of feeding the people. He takes in the logistics. He takes in the economic factors. He looks at the reality of the situation and then he proceeds to leave Jesus out of the equation. This is so human. And I must confess, at times, I see myself in Philip. It's not that I mean to leave Jesus out of the equation. It's just that my eyes become full with the circumstances of life happening all around me. Can you relate to that? And at times, I feel surrounded. And, and there's just so much things that are happening, and there's so many needs to fill, and, and there's, so many, there's so many opportunities. I say, Lord, wh what are we going to do, Lord? I, 
while watching a TV show called War Stories, hosted by Lieutenant Colonel Oliver North, he told the following true story. He said, during the Korean War, enemy forces were advancing on a military unit known as the Baker Company. And the unit was cut off from the rest of the regiment, and for several hours, no word was heard from this elite fighting force called the Baker Company, and they tried and they attempted over and over again to reach them. Finally, headquarters picked up a faint signal. And straining to hear each word, the radio operator asked, Baker Company, is that you? Yes, this is Baker Company. Well, what is your situation? The enemy is to the east of us. The enemy is to the west of us. The enemy is to the north, and the enemy is to the south of us. And Baker Company will not let the enemy escape this time. I love that. I love that. And friend, that's the kind of attitude we have to have as Christians. Because sometimes we feel like we are in the same dilemma as the Baker Company. The enemy is surrounding us, and everywhere we look where there's difficulties and roadblocks, you turn on the news, and there's a weather balloon. Is it a weather balloon? Is it really? Or they're coming across the border. Lord, what are we going to do? Gas is so expensive. I heard this one young man. He goes, Pastor, I think I'm in trouble. I said, why? He said, my wife said she wanted me to take her someplace expensive, so we went to the gas station. <laughs> Not very smart. But you look at those things and you say, Lord, how are we going to make it? The economy and political confusion and the rhetoric and worldwide chaos. And the Russians are coming through Ukraine. And the Chinese are rising up. The Russian bear is coming over and he's joining with the Chinese dragon. Let me tell you, the Chinese dragon and the Russian bear are no match for the lion of the tribe of Judah. And that should make you want to shout. Oh, you didn't hear me. I said they are no match for the lion of the tribe of Judah. And I want you to be encouraged tonight that you serve a God that's still alive and well. He's got you in the palm of his hand. And yet we may think, what's the use? But we can't let that happen. We must have faith and say, if God be for me, then who can be against me? Friends, we can move forward. There's no panic in heaven. Oh, say that with me. There's no panic in heaven. Say it again. There's no panic in heaven. Listen, today you may have a very serious list of problems. And you are finding it difficult to see Jesus through all the circumstances and life issues. And like we spoke about this morning, you might be wounded, you might be battered, you might be scarred, you've got bandages all over, and you think God can't use you. Well, just like Philip, you can't see how you're going to meet the need. And I know exactly how you feel. I can't tell you how many times I walk through the house. I got the bills in one hand and the Bible in the other, and I say, Lord, you've got a big problem. But let me tell you what I do when life gets so convoluted and my eyes are filled with all the stuff of life. Here's what I do to help me clear my vision. I wait until the house gets quiet. Usually it's late at night. And I follow the example of King David and I get into the presence of God and I encourage myself in the Lord. And when the house gets quiet, I sit at the kitchen table with my laptop and I'll say something like this, Lord, I really need you. Carlene, my wife, Lord, she needs you as well. Christian, my oldest, Morgan, Quentin, Ashton, Marissa, my daughter-in-law, my grandson, Enzo, we all need you, Lord. 
Then I start calling out the names of the extended family. And I'll call my brothers and their wives and their children. And I'll call my mom and my dad. And then I begin to sing songs that have been my refocusing songs since childhood. Because I realize I must create an atmosphere where the Holy Spirit feels comfortable. Atmosphere is everything. Some of you wonder why we have Pastor Dan lead in worship or why Mike this morning was leading in worship. And some of you say, well, I just want to hear the word. I just came for the word. Listen, friend, we're setting the atmosphere. The Holy Spirit is setting the atmosphere because he inhabits the praises of his people. In the atmosphere of God, in the atmosphere of the presence of God, miracles happen. I can't tell you how many times we will get a Facebook or an Instagram into the office and some of you will say, I got healed while I was worshiping. In the very presence of God, while we were lifting our hands, no one else touched me, but the presence of God moved from within me and rested upon me and the pain left my body. It's in the power of praise that brings God's presence. And you must learn to create an atmosphere in your home where the Holy Spirit feels comfortable. The ancient Japanese text says he inhabits the praises of his people. The actual Japanese text to that, I've been told, is when God's people worship him, he brings a big comfy chair and he sits right down. Is there anyone that wants to make God comfortable in your home, in your family? Then you create an atmosphere for him to do that. And I sit at the table and I'll begin to sing songs of refocusing that I've learned since childhood. One of them is the song, Jesus, Jesus, there's just something about that name. And the house is quiet, it's just me and, and my hot tea and Jesus. And I'll sing, Master, Savior. Jesus, like the fragrance after the rain. Oh, come on, if you know it, can you help me sing it? Jesus, 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 let all heaven and earth proclaim. Kings and kingdoms will all pass away, but there's something about that name, the name of Jesus. And once I've created the atmosphere for the Holy Spirit to feel comfortable, I'll get my laptop out and I write down all my problems. And I'll literally begin to name them out so I could see them. And I take those problems then, and then I double it, and I take them to their worst actual scenario. One of the problems may be, Lord, we got to make the house payment. Because the Bank of America doesn't care if I'm anointed. Lord, you got a problem. And then I'll take that out to the worst possible scenario, but Lord, if we didn't have a house. Lord, I'm praying for healing in my body, and then I'll take it out to the worst possible scenario. And actually, I'll write the worst possible scenario. And then once I have that list, I'll scroll back up to the top of that list, and I'll write one word, J-E-S-U-S. 
Friends, if you could list your problems and name them, then you really don't have a problem because Philippians 2, 9 through 11 says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord according to the glory of God the Father. Now I want to ask you a question. Is there anything on your list too big for God? Is there anything on your list that you have named that he cannot solve, that he cannot heal in the appointed time? Are, are you really that battered? Are you really that bruised? Are you so broken that God cannot use you? Is there really no relationship he cannot heal? Of course not. He is the Lord. He is God Almighty. And the first part of Genesis 18, 14 says, is there anything too hard for God? I want you to get it deep down in your spirit. There is no problem too big for Jesus to solve. Even if it's laying it on the heart of a women's ministry five months prior to answer the need in the appointed time. Do you believe that? There's no problem too big for Jesus to solve. And as we look tonight past the miracles and the needs and we focus our eyes on Jesus, the second thing is you need to understand there is no person too small for Jesus to use. Oh, I've seen a lot of people that get a big head and they become too big for Jesus to use. But there's no person too small for Jesus to use. One of the amazing traits about Jesus is when he solves problems, he uses broken people. He uses wounded people. He used bruised people. And this morning I told you about Ruth the Moabitess. We touched on Moses and we touched on the different heroes of the faith listed in Hebrews 11. Let me ask you, who was the person Jesus used in the miracle recorded in John 6 in the feeding of the 5,000? And before you shout out what we think is the obvious question, let me explain to you. The one he used was the one who was available. It just so happened that he was a small boy. I've heard it said, I am only one, but I am one. I can't do everything, but I can do something. What I can do, I ought to do. What I ought to do by the grace of God, I will do. See, one godly man or woman can make a dramatic difference in the darkest of circumstances. You might be the only Christian in your family or the only Christian in your workplace or the only Christian in your classroom or the only Christian in your neighborhood and you may be the only Christian some people will ever know. In fact, you might be trying to get God to get you out of a very uncomfortable situation and you're saying, Lord, I can't handle it anymore. I'm too beaten. I'm too bruised. I, I want out. I, 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 can't, I can't deal with this situation any longer. However, please understand, you may have been put there by the Lord to be an influence and in a godly way to move people in the right direction. And you need to get into the altar and get a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit. Get refilled with the Holy Ghost that you would have a supernatural power. Because God can do a lot with a little. We've all heard of people like Dr. Bill Bright, the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ International. We've heard of D.L. Moody, the great evangelist of his time, and of course we've heard of Dr. Billy Graham, but have you ever heard of Edward Kimball? Without Edward Kimball, there would have never been a D.L. Moody or a Billy Graham. In the year was 1858, in the city of Boston, Massachusetts, 
And Edward Kimball was a young Sunday school teacher who made it a habit to personally give each student in his class an opportunity to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. He was concerned about one of his students who worked in a shoe store. One day, Kimball went out of his way to visit the young man at the store, and he found him in the storeroom in the back stocking shelves. Hundreds of shoes all around, and yet he felt impressed to share the story of Jesus with this young man. He told him Jesus loved him, and if he was the only man on this earth, Jesus would have come from heaven, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified on the cross, laid in a borrowed tomb. He would have rose again three days later just for him. It stirred the heart of the young man. He told him Jesus came for whosoever would believe in him. They would not perish but have everlasting life. That young man, that young shoe salesman, gave his life to Jesus Christ in a storeroom of a shoe store. And that young man was Dwight L. Moody, who eventually left the shoe business to become the great evangelist of his time, the Moody Press. The Moody Bible Institute, founded in 1886 by Dwight L. Moody. Moody became an international speaker and toured the British Isles. He preached in a little chapel pastored by a young man by the name of Frederick Meyer. In his sermon, he told the story of his Sunday school teacher, and the message changed Pastor Meyer's ministry, inspiring him to become an evangelist like D.L. Moody. Meyer eventually preached in America in a place called Northfield, Massachusetts, where a young preacher heard him say, if you are not willing to give up everything for Christ, are you willing to be made willing? Tonight, if you are not willing to give up everything for Christ, in these altars, are you willing to be made willing? That remark led J. Wilbur Chapman to respond to God's call in his life. Wilbur Chapman went on to become an effective evangelist. And he enlisted the help of a volunteer to set up the chairs in his crusade. The young man setting up chairs? A young Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday learned how to preach by watching Chapman and eventually took over Chapman's ministry, becoming a dynamic evangelist himself. Billy Sunday's preaching brought thousands to Jesus. Inspired by a Billy Sunday crusade in Charlotte, North Carolina, a group of Christian businessmen and farmers decided that they would make an impact in Charlotte, North Carolina. They said, let's have a revival and let's invite a preacher and let's bring all the people with us that we can to the evangelistic meetings. The year was 1932 and a local farmer loaded his pickup truck with neighbors and brought them to the meeting. There was a 16-year-old boy sitting in the back of that pickup truck. He sat in the crowd every night. He said, I was spellbound by the message. Each evening, the preacher seemed to be shouting and pointing his finger at me, the young man said. And night after night, he, gave his, he, he heard the message. He finally gave his life to Christ, coming forward and surrendering to the Lord. That young man was none other, other than Billy Graham. And Billy Graham communicated the gospel to more people than any other person in history. He literally preached around the world as satellites orbiting the earth broadcast his message literally to millions of people around the world. Dr. Billy Graham brought to Christ as a 16-year-old boy in a tent meeting because a group of farmers and men wanted to do something to impact their city. 
Billy Graham influenced presidents and senators and kings and noblemen and the common men alike. And it all started with a Sunday school teacher named Edward Kimball who cared for the souls of his students. A Sunday school teacher who shared the gospel with one young man stocking shelves in the back of a storeroom. One young, one preacher, one Sunday school teacher that said, I could do something for God even though I'm wounded, even though I'm broken. Friend, only eternity will reveal the impact of that one teacher who invested his life in the lives of students. Listen to me. Because what I'm talking about is the power of the Holy Spirit flowing through one person. It's what can happen and put into motion when you run to this altar tonight, one person that makes themselves available to God. Are you available? Oh, we love to talk about how we're sanctified. We love to talk about how we are covered by the blood. We love to dance and shout how we are redeemed. I know you are sanctified. I know you are chosen, but are you available? You see, it's easy to send the Apple Pay to missions. It's easy to write the check. It's hard to come to one of the pastors and say, I'm available. I'm broken, I'm bruised, I'm hurting, but use me. Just like this morning when I talked to you about the prophet that stood there, he was wounded, but he reached the king. Are you available? I want you to ask yourself that question. See, you complain about how the nation is spiraling out of control. We complain about all the things that are happening in our public schools. But are you available on a Wednesday night to go put hands upon a teenager and say, I'm with you? Are you available? In Ezekiel 22 and 30, God says, I look for someone who might rebuild the wall of righteousness that guards the land. I searched for someone to stand in the gap in the wall so I would not have to destroy the land. But I found no one. Would to God that as the Holy Spirit is walking up in the aisles of our church, that he would not find no one. Would to God that he would find thousands of people in Oak Creek, Wisconsin, that will say, Lord, here I am. But friend, not much has changed. God is looking for that one who can make his mark or her mark. Again, you might be the only Christian who some people will ever know. The fact is that God can do a lot with a little. Now back to the feeding of the 5,000. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, found someone. I love that. He found someone. He searched the massive crowd, and he came back, and he said, there is a boy here who has five loaves of barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? To the disciples, the situation seemed hopeless. And the only option they had seemed so small and insignificant. And they looked at the circumstance and they thought to themselves, how are we going to meet the need? Again, in their minds, they completely left Jesus out of the equation. I want you to look at your life right now, right now. I want you to look at the things you are dealing with, your life situation, and ask yourself that all-important question. Am I leaving Jesus out of the equation? Am I available to be used by God? In all my woundings, in all my insufficiency, has it gotten to the point that I feel surrounded and my eyes are full of the circumstances, my mind is distracted by the situation? My friends, listen, faith is engaged in a daily contest between the heart and the mind. You do not have faith with your mind. Your mind is the center of unbelief. Human reasoning caused the fall in the Garden of Eden, and human reasoning is the center of the mind. 
Darwin's human reasoning gave birth to the theory of evolution, completely discounting God's creation. He too left God out of the equation, and the result has been catastrophic for every generation. The human mind is corrupt because of sin. However, the Apostle Paul said in Romans that with the heart, man believes into salvation. It is your heart, the deepest part of your soul, and our personal will that you must protect. Why? Because out of the heart flows the issues of life. We believe with our heart and not our minds. I know things with my heart my mind will never know. I know the days, it seemed like to the disciples, they had meager in quantity and meager in quality. But I know things with my heart my mind will never know. I know in my heart that God is a healer. My, my mind says, no, you've got, you got things going on in your body, Randy. And I said, no, 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 no. My God is still a healer. My God is still a provider. My mind says you'll never make it. You'll never pay the bills. Your mind says you can never be used of God. You're too broken. You're too wounded. And my heart began to say, no, God is no respecter of persons. What he has promised for one, he has promised for all. My God can still do miracles. My God is still the healer. He's still the sea walker. In the eyes of Jesus, he saw the potential that day for the miracle. He sees the extraordinary things he placed deep inside of you. Look this way, gang. Because, you see, when, when we look at our lives and the woundings of our life, we see a lump of clay. God sees a beautiful vase. We see a blank canvas, God sees a finished masterpiece painting. We see a lump of coal, God sees a refined, beautiful diamond. We see problems, God sees solutions. We see failures, God sees potential success. We see difficulties, God says, is there anything too hard for me? Let me ask you another question. Do you really think that little boy who gave his loaves and fish, do you really think he went home hungry? I mean, think about it. Now, Scripture doesn't say, it does tell us that they had 12 baskets collected left over of barley loaves and bread and fish. And based upon the character of Jesus, do you really think he let that little boy go home hungry? Oh, no, friend. I believe, personally, that Jesus sent him home with those 12 baskets full. And when I get to heaven, I'm going to go look for him. Because I want to ask his mother, what was it like to send him out with a snack pack and have him come back with a feast? Can you imagine when he knocked on the door and she knows she sent him with a snack pack and now he's got 12 basketballs? If it was me and my sons, i got to be honest and very transparent, I would have looked at my boys and said, mijo, did you steal it? I know you guys. <laughs> what, what did you do? How'd you get it? And don't you know that mother looked at her son? She said, baby, where'd you get that? And he just said, mom, I, I gave to Jesus what I had. And he gave back to me. Pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Oh, come on, if you believe that, clap your hands and praise him. Tonight, God is not asking you to give what you don't have. He's asking you to give what you do have. And really, you have so much to give. You can give of your time. You can give of your praise. You can give of your love to the hurting. And yes, you can give of your finances. We do need that. For the furtherance of God's kingdom. 
however small or minuscule it may seem in those around you, because God specializes in doing extraordinary things with ordinary broken people. Extraordinary things. I love to say ordinary to extraordinary. Are you ready to go from bruised to blessed? As our musicians are getting ready to come, we're about to go into what I call an old-fashioned Holy Ghost-tarian meeting. Well, we're going to wait on Jesus. And we're going to bring him our woundings, and we're going to bring him our needs and our miracles, but we're looking past that. And tonight, the mentality is this, Lord, if you choose to heal me, that's wonderful. If you choose to meet the miracle, that's great. But if you choose to do nothing at all, every fiber of my being will declare that you are God. Because, Lord, I know you specialize in taking the ordinary and make it extraordinary. But, Lord, if you heal me, that's wonderful. I was telling Pastor just as we were walking out that at home in my office, I've got uh, uh, over 400 messages preached by Jerry Brooks. And I listen to them all the time. They're on CD. I got an old CD player that I take with me on the plane. People look at me, they, they go, Dude, do you realize you're old? I don't care. I do. It's a big old yellow thing, and it, I just sit it right there on the, on the table there in the, air, in the uh, airport. Or, and Pastor was preaching a message, oh, I don't know, 20 years ago, on the gates of the mind. I told him, I said, Jerry, I've preached that message all over the country. They think I'm smart. <laughs> and Pastor was talking about the gates of Jerusalem and how we have an eye gate and the ear gate and the mouth gate. And the brain, and he said that your mind is a computer and whatever you fill it with, that's what you're going to program it with. He started talking about the dung gate. Oh, it's, it's an amazing sermon. You should go back and look. In the eastern gate in the New Jerusalem. And whatever you program your mind, that's what you're going to think and that's what you're going to believe. And if you're always talking about the negative or talking about how God can never do anything in your life, how you're too wounded, you're too bruised, well, that's what you're going to produce. Friend, God takes ordinary to extraordinary. If you don't believe me, when you get to heaven, go ahead and find that little boy. Or spend some time in the book of Exodus, the book of Departures where you'll find the story of one man who lives such a godly life that after all practical purposes, he brought two and a half million people out. His name is Moses. Pastor and I were talking about in the office that Moses, he had one trait in him that caused him not to enter into the promises of God, and it was anger, and yet God still used him. God is just not looking for the perfect person. He's looking for the one who is willing. Are you willing we all would love to be Billy Graham, D.L. Moody, and Bill Bright. Maybe you will be. But would you be willing to at least be Edward Kimball? To do something for God? I, I mentioned in the third service the miracle of how God told Moses to throw the stick down and it turned into a snake and then he grabbed it and it went back to a stick. Listen, the miracle wasn't so much that the stick became a snake. The miracle was that the snake went back to being a stick. That after God was done using it in a supernatural way, the stick was satisfied to go be ordinary. And can you look past all the miracles and have God throw you down in front of a bunch of Egyptians and Milwaukeeans and 
have God do the supernatural in your life, and when he's done with you, you don't get a big head, and you're satisfied to say, Lord, I, if you want me in the parking lot this week, even though it's four degrees, dear Lord. Well, Lord, maybe you want me with the youth pastor and, or the children's pastor to volunteer in the services. But Lord, maybe you want me in the food court, wherever you want me, Lord. Maybe it's singing the solo in the production, wherever it is, Lord. Just use me. Use me. I'm looking past the miracles I need. Can you transition well? Can God use you? Because if you can transition well back to being ordinary, he says, I can use that person over and over again. Just like Edward Kimball. I, listen, he, he did not care that he was in a storeroom. He had no idea that what that prayer in that storeroom would lead to a worldwide ministry with D.L. Moody and Wilbur Chapman and Billy Sunday and Dr. Billy Graham. Never underestimate the power of one yielded heart before the Lord. Are you available? Are you hungry for more of Jesus? Are you longing for more of him? Do you really want revival? Many of you follow me on my post on Facebook, and I ask that question. We all talk about revival in America, but are you willing to look at the three R's of revival in your life? Repent. Call on God. Repeat and realize I need a Savior. The count of three, I'm going to ask you to stand and lift your hands and say, Lord, there's no problem too big for you to solve. There's no person too wounded for you to use. There's no person too small that you can't flow through. And I'm going to ask you to stand in just a moment and lift your hands and count the cost and then run to Jesus. And I want you to fill this altar and we're going to wait on him. And this afternoon as I was praying, the Holy Spirit said, Randy, I want you to tell him there's a spirit of intercession that's about to be birthed afresh and new. And you might hear some groanings. Don't watch the manifestation. Don't let it shake you. There's a groaning in your prayer that the Holy Spirit groans on our behalf with words that you cannot understand. And you may hear, oh, friend, that's the Holy Spirit praying through them. You don't know what it's taken to get that person there. They're looking past the miracle they need to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of their faith. I believe what's about to happen is many of you, if you respond by faith, will get your prayer language. I don't want you to seek tongues. I want you to seek more of Jesus. Do I need the prayer language to be saved? No. But you sure, sure is awesome help in this world. It gives you a supernatural grace and power that you need to get the job done. By an upraised hand, how many say, Randy, I've got some miracles in my life that I need God to meet? Come on, if that's you, raise your hand right now. Whether it's physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, financial. Look, at that's almost everyone here. Just so you're not alone. Look around. Look around. Keep your hands up. You're not alone. Can I challenge you then to look past those needs and look to Jesus? And just come and stand before him and lay before him and say, Lord, here I am. Would you stand right now and just lift your hands and say, here I am, Lord.
thank you. It's exactly what I wanted you to do. Here I am, Lord. Come on, are you available? You tell them, here I am, Lord. Because if you were at a Packer game, you'd be yelling right now. Sunday, there'll be 70, 80,000 people cheering for the Chiefs, praise God. But I think you can lift your hands right now and open your mouth. For the Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth shall speak. And I want you right now to pour out your love for Jesus. I want you to tell him, Lord, if you choose to heal me, that's wonderful. If you choose to do a miracle for my family, that's great. But if you choose to do nothing at all, every fiber of my being will declare that you are mighty God. I'm going to fix my eyes on Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of my faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. And now you're sitting at the right hand of God the Father and he's interceding on my behalf. Right now, Jesus is praying for your children. He's praying for your grandchildren. He's calling your name. He's standing in the gap. Is there anybody in Oak Creek, Wisconsin that'll stand in the gap for a generation, that'll stand in the gap for healing, that'll stand in the gap for young families? Are we going to call out to God or are we going to run and hide? I want you to call out to God right now. Prepare yourself for what's about to happen. For we believe in miracles, but we put our faith and trust in Jesus. Oh, don't stop. Don't stop. I don't want you to sing yet. I want you to pray. I want you to call out to God. That's it. If you have the gift of a heavenly language, it's perfectly appropriate to use it right now. Just begin to pray in the spirit. Pray in intercession. He's calling us, church, to discover new ways in God. He's calling us, church, to discover new faith. He's calling us, church, to discover new mission fields. He's calling us, church, to discover a fresh anointing, a fresh healing, a fresh call, a fresh ministry. In Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, heal somebody. Holy Spirit, set someone free from fear, from doubt, from worry, as they make themselves available to you. For there is no problem too great for you to solve. Oh, don't stop. Don't stop. Don't stop. Woo, baby. Get ready. 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 Holy Spirit, have your way. In the name of Jesus, have your way. Have your way, have your way. In Jesus' name, have your way, mighty God. Lord, I got a text today about a man named Chuck Banta. He needs a miracle healing, Lord, that I am interceding on his behalf right now. Call your children by name. Call your grandchildren. Prepare yourself for the miracle. As you step out in faith, get ready to run to the altars of God. Say, Lord, I'm coming. Lord, I'm coming. I'm coming, Lord, for, to discover a new dimension in my family. At the count of three, when I say three, you turn to that person next to you. You say, come on, let's hit the altar. Come on, let's pray for a miracle. Let's look past it and look to Jesus. We believe in miracles, but we're going to put our faith in Jesus. We're going to come and wait in the presence of God. And I want you to come and lay all over the altar. I want you to kneel everywhere and just begin to call upon the name of the Lord. Get ready. I want you to come from the balcony and the floor. Revival comes when God's people pray. They're coming already. One, good to see you, bro. Two, 
Three, come right now. Right now. Come on, Dan, lead us. Come right now. Come right now. 